Hi, I'm Trevor, and welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. Now, if you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and, in essence, catch up on our cinema. So it is the month of August 2022, and all month long, uh, from week to week, we've been covering films from the year 2022. Uh, so that would be contemporary releases. Um, you may have noticed uh, by his uh, silence on the other end of this recording that uh, Kyle is not here. Um, he's busy with some real life shit. Uh, so once again, it's just going to be you and me uh, this time around. Uh, and as is customary, um, I'm going to subject you, dear listener, uh, to a review of questionable quality. Uh, because uh, when Kyle's not around, uh, I tend to indulge the... Uh, more masochistic side of my uh, media diet tendencies, uh, dietary tendencies, that is. And uh, I subject myself to some crap. Uh, it's just a thing that I do. For whatever reason, I gravitate to crap. Um, it's uh, it's actually like something that is worth exploring. Uh, maybe not in, in this solo recording here, but it's just one of those things that I get a lot of enjoyment out of. I, I feel I learn more. Uh, from watching movies of, you know, decent quality uh, or like mid-range budgets. I enjoy finding the flaws in things because it helps me appreciate the art of filmmaking as a whole, uh, if that makes sense. It's very, I don't know, what's the concept? Wabi-sabi, I think. Uh, it's the concept of like beauty and imperfection. I understand. I fully understand. Um, that's not something that that just anyone uh, is into when it comes to the types of movies they enjoy watching. But um, for what it's worth, it's something that I've always kind of been drawn to. I I I don't feel I'm wasting my time watching something that's not great or not quote perfect. I don't I don't believe in perfect films and whatnot. But anyway, point is, I I can get something out of nothing very easily like it's very easy for me to watch a movie that's not great and feel like i i got something out of it so anyway uh to dispel you know whatever mystery there may be uh in regards to what i'm going to be talking about today um i decided to pick something easy man because you know it's it's kind of hard to do a, a a one breath review all by your lonesome uh in a podcast format uh, so I'm I'm trying to keep it light on myself. I'm not going to be doing anything that requires a shit ton of research in order to, quote, get right. Uh, so I decided to go with the very recently released uh, Samaritan uh, from the year 2022, directed by one Julius Avery. Um, and this is distributed by Amazon Studios. Uh, so that's uh, <laughs> the Amazon business model kind of uh, looming its ugly head right there, where it's basically... I picked this one because it looked it looked approachable and it was on the front page of a website that I opened. So um, that's not entirely true. Um, I actually had known about this movie uh, for quite some time uh, because as far as I understand, this was not a troubled production. Um, I mean, it was in the sense that I, I believe they did have to contend with COVID uh, while they were filming it. Um, but the release of it for some reason um, has been all sorts of wonky. Um, I, I heard, I first heard of this movie being in production quite a while ago, like, like I want to say like 20, like early 2020, maybe even like late 2019. Um, 
I point is I, I've I've been aware of this thing for quite some time, but uh, for whatever reason, its release date kept getting bounced back and back and back and back, and I I have no idea why that might be. Um, the actual production companies uh, involved in the the making of the film, Amazon merely distributed, uh, from from what I understand, is a uh, MGM and uh, <laughs> Balboa Productions. Um, both companies that uh, Sylvester Stallone uh, has been tied up with for you know decades. Uh, Balboa Productions is of course his own company, but MGM, you know, his relationship with them goes way back. Um, same goes for United Artists, who also handled distribution for this thing. Um, but yeah, this film, I had zero hype going in, but there's a there's a thing with me and Sylvester Stallone that's like. Um, I've probably mentioned this many, many times on the podcast, but um, my my dad, uh, who is very much still alive, by the way, I don't know if it's not clear with you know some of the ways I, I phrase certain things when I speak of the man, but no, he's very much alive, um, and I love the hell out of him. But uh, my dad's uh, from Philadelphia and grew up with. He's a contemporary of Sylvester Stallone, and he did grow up with some, you know, neighborhood stories about the Stallone family, uh, in particular Stallone's mother and whatnot. Apparently, there was some crazy shit going on in that house uh, way back when. But um, point is, uh, I've I've always had a strong, like, I don't know, connection. Well, not connection, but I've I've been drawn to Sylvester Stallone because I. Uh, bonding over watching the Rocky movies with my dad when I was a little kid um, was like one of the earliest actual bonding experiences I remember having with my dad when I was young. Um, Watching those movies with him and having him point out like all the different neighborhoods and locales of Philadelphia in the 70s, that was really special to me. Um, And it continues to be special to me because, you know, Stallone keeps fucking making movies and... um, it's hard for me to not like project a little bit when I when I see the man. It's like I I, I get a little bit of the the warm and fuzzies when I see Stallone because it's like yeah I can't help but think of my dad. Um, so anyway, uh, that's a very roundabout way of saying that I I will fully admit that Sylvester Stallone's filmography is uh it has its it has its ups for sure but it's his track record it's it's probably like 50 50 honestly in terms of like good good and bad like he he's got a spotty track record but you have to admire the man's hustle um he's constantly working uh he's he's never fully reinvented himself um but his uh his effort, his work ethic, I think is something that he prides himself on like he always shows the fuck up for the most part um and it you can tell with with like the way he commits himself in the gym and whatnot. I think that's like a, a huge foundation of like his personal philosophy for how he lives his life. That you know I may not be the biggest or the strongest, but I I will I it it will mean more to me, and I will likely try harder than most people. Um, so I've always admired that about the guy. But um, as I said, I, I will never claim that every movie he's made is excellent, but um, he's consistently a draw for me. Uh, so if I see his face on a poster for a movie that doesn't look very good, I'll probably just roll my eyes and hit play anyway, <laughs> just because it's like you know, fuck it, it's it's sly, you know, why why the fuck not? Um, and that was very much the case with this film. Um, as I said, I became aware of it like 
pretty much around the time it was announced that he was tied to the project. I think probably through his Instagram or something. Uh, Stallone's, that is. And uh, I had zero hype for it. I was like, oh, that just sounds like that Danny Trejo movie, uh, Badass, or Badasses, I think, was the name of the sequels. They made multiple uh, badass movies, by the way, um, which, as far as I understand, were uh, inspired by a, a viral clip of a, I think it was like an old Vietnam vet or something getting into a fist fight with some some young dude on a bus. Uh, I think it was like a cell phone footage or something. It was like a viral YouTube clip or something that inspired a Danny Trejo direct-to-video film franchise. Um, that's what I thought of when I saw Stallone in a hoodie and a, you know, for a for a project called Samaritan that was supposed to be a superhero property. I had no idea what the extent of his superpowers or anything. I just saw an old man in a hoodie um, and expected him to punch some young people. That that does happen in this movie, by the way, but. Zero hype for the movie itself, but the Stallone factor was literally the only reason I I would have taken a chance on this thing. So I guess that's, you know, good marketing, good branding on their part. Um, which actually, I guess, uh, brings me to the, the Amazon aspect of this production. So as I said, they, uh, they didn't produce this film as far as I understand. They merely distributed it and as far as I can tell, they did everybody a huge fucking favor because apparently that was a problem for this film because it took its sweet fucking time being released. It, as far as I understand, it was completed some time ago. Um, but I just wanted to like share uh, a thought that's been turning over in my head regarding uh, Amazon Studios um, and the films in their in their steadily growing catalog. Um, I'm not a hugely political person, nor is this a political podcast, but just as a casual observer of trends and whatnot, I think it's very fascinating that Amazon, I mean, I've always thought of it as, you know, being a, a, a very like liberal uh, imaged company, like their, their, their branding, their, their image seems to be very, very blue, uh, as far as I can tell. I mean, for fuck's sake, they're headquartered in my hometown in Seattle. Um, which is a very blue town. Um, but what I find interesting is that that seems to be their image, like in terms of like the brand that they project. Um, however, if you look at the, the films that they've been attaching their brand to, that they have been putting Amazon Studios' name on top of or behind, um, a lot of it's like, I don't know, like like Reagan-era, like, like republican action movies <laughs> like like stuff that that i would i would associate with like i don't know the the like 80s action films that i grew up with like for instance like the tomorrow war and uh they have that jack ryan series that i don't know if anybody's watching and the same goes for the the jack reacher series that i i know did really well probably because that dude that they got is fucking huge and you know if anything, like if if Hollywood has taught us anything, if the if the Schwarzeneggerian school of acting has taught us anything, if you put a huge dude on the poster, there's a pretty good chance that some some people will will click on it. Like just some people will give it a chance, just just on a whim. Um, so I think people are actually watching that one. As far as I heard, it was it was not bad. Um, but then there's also that Chris Pratt like Terminal List series. Um, and just like more and more it's like these like they feel like like throwback like 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 rocky 4 era or like rambo 3 era 
you know, like Reagan era commando action films. And it's like, what does that say about the demographics that, that are like buying, buying from Amazon or, or willing to click on this sort of thing? Um, I, it's a half form thought, but I just thought it was very fascinating that I would not have expected Amazon studios to be the, be the place churning out this particular brand of film. Um, and then we get to this one where it's Sylvester Stallone, who is, you know, well known as uh, one of the few loud and proud Republicans in Hollywood, always has been. Um, and in especially in, you know, like from the 1980s onward, his his filmography has tended to, you know, advertise more aggressively towards a, a more hyper masculine, more conservative audience, um, especially especially in like more recent years. So it's it's interesting. Um, I, I have very little other to say about it other than it's it's interesting to observe this. Um, anyway, um, I have very little to say about the actual production of this film. Uh, so I'll just uh, go over it in brief. Um, Julius Avery uh, is a director who only has a few credits uh, under his name at this point as a director. Uh, he's an Aussie. Um, he has directed a film called Son of a Gun which I believe is headlined by Ewan McGregor. Um, as far as I know, it was critic. It did quite well, like critically, like it did pretty well. Uh, I don't think it has much of a footprint here in the States, maybe abroad. It has uh, a larger significance, but um, the major element uh, present on his filmography um, is Overlord uh, from the year 2018. Um, that movie uh, I a lot, a lot of people were joking and calling that like the uh, the the Wolfenstein movie or the Wolfenstein movie. I forget how it's actually pronounced. Uh, basically, it, it should have been a Wolfenstein movie, um, but it's not. Um, and actually, I think it suffers because of it. Um, because my, my biggest gripe was that movie with that movie ra- rather is that uh, I felt it played things too straight. Where it's like from a technical standpoint, it's very well executed. There's some there's some excellent shots, some great lighting, some some pretty solid effects work, um, nice period detail, nicely dressed sets and costumes and whatnot. Performances are fine, um, but it, it's it's just a war movie with like a couple of little flourishes here and there, and it's like mm, I I feel like you. Like, they advertised it with fucking, I think it was Hell's Bells, like, that fucking ACDC. Um, like, if you're going to advertise that, like, in an era, in a post-Doom 2016 era, like, you, you got to give me that. You got, you have to have your uh, From Dust Till Dawn transition. Like, like I don't want it to just be a World War II movie. I want it to go balls out crazy. If you're going to try to have, like, supernatural elements in your World War II movie... Try to get a more even mix because he did the war movie, like he he really did make a World War II movie, but I I le- I was left wanting more more craziness, I guess, like like really really get nutty uh, with with the possibilities presented by by some of the other aspects uh, at work. Um, so that movie, I actually like, as I said, on a technical level, there's nothing wrong with that movie. Uh, it's a fine movie. It's just, it's very flat to me, um, and it left me wanting more. Um, and, and you know, spoiler alert, uh, we do full spoilers on Catching Up on Cinema, by the way. 
Um, not that it's going to be super important. This is probably going to be a really short episode because I actually was like <laughs> doing a fucking Picard facepalm uh, as I was heating up the microphone, uh, just dreading the idea of having to talk about this movie because I find I have very little to say about, which is why I'm front loading the fuck out of this review. Um, but spoiler alert, um, the feelings I had uh, in regards to Overlord can largely be transposed onto this film, Samaritan, uh, pretty seamlessly. Um, some it's it's fine from a production standpoint. Uh, it just doesn't go hard enough. Um, or mm, maybe that's not true. Uh, we'll, I'll I'll try to expand on that. But um, yeah, Julius Avery, as I said, only has a few films under his belt at this point. I did find it fascinating that if you look at like some of his uh, like projects that were in the works. I don't know if he pissed some people off or if there were some some undisclosed issues with the making of Samaritan or something, um, but he did have some projects lined up that in the past few years probably should have come to light, but it looks like uh, they got yanked from him or canceled altogether. Like he had another uh, bad robot film uh, in the works. Uh, bad robot would be the production house that uh, I think they financed uh Overlord, so he has a working relationship with them, or at least he did. Um, he did have a project with them lined up, and then poof, gone. Um, and then he was also in line to he like had the gig uh, to make a Flash Gordon movie um, several years back, and that also didn't happen. Um, there's probably a lot of reasons behind that, very few of which probably have anything to do with him. Like one, I think they missed the window because those uh, Ted movies, the uh, Seth MacFarlane teddy bear movies like th- those kind of like did the Cobra Kai thing where they they cast a bright shining light onto Flash Gordon there for a minute but I think enough time has passed that's like mm, production house like production houses you may have missed the boat like you may have missed the the window there where there was like legitimate interest in seeing a new Flash Gordon film and also I would imagine any Flash Gordon film carries with it like the like from a producer standpoint carries a lot of risk um in that you know it's a it's a somewhat well-known property but not exactly a household name in 2022 especially with quote the youth um and also you know you have situations like john carter over at disney where it's just like hey we took a chance on this you know atomic era or i forget what era john carter originates from but um is it like Jules Verne or some shit? Um, anyway, it was it was one of those throwback like retro properties that they tried to do a big budget adaptation of it, and it fucked them pretty good. Um, so I would not Im- I would not imagine Flash Gordon is like a safe bet in 2022. Point is, Julius Avery seems like a competent filmmaker, but for whatever reason, his a uh, he's lacking traction at this moment. Um, so let's give a little. Uh, plot summary of Samaritan. So I actually don't have one in front of me. So I'm going to try to bullshit this. And fuck, it's... I'm really bad at this. Normally I kick this over to Kyle. But um, basically, uh, we have a story set in a fictional town called uh, Granite City um, who... It's not clear. Uh, It sounds like there are exactly two super people in existence uh, in the world in which this, this story takes place. Long story short, there are two brothers, uh, one of whom is, quote, good, one of whom is, quote, bad, Samaritan and uh, Nemesis, uh, who do battle in Granite City. Um, Supposedly, they kill each other. 
uh, flash forward like a decade plus later, and there's a young boy who is uh, a fanatic for Samaritan. Uh, he, he thinks of him as like a, I don't know, a, a hero that he wishes was still around. Um, and then he happens upon a trash man uh, who lives in the building next door, uh, who he comes to believe uh, is secretly Samaritan uh, hiding in plain sight. Merry mishaps and soup. Um, yeah, so I'm just going to run down the cast and hopefully some ideas come out of that. So Stallone, I already talked quite a lot about. Um, there's very little else to say about Stallone um, that I haven't said already. Um, but one thing that's always been curious to me about Stallone is that, um, you know, his work ethic, as I said, is always commendable. But um, he has this weird pattern of of continually being his own worst enemy. Um, <laughs> very fitting, being as the uh, the um, superhero characters in this film, uh, Samaritan and Nemesis, are actually twin brothers. Um, funny enough, Stallone, as far as I know, he's never done a twin movie. Like he, I think he's done movies where there have been multiple Stallones, but he's never really done like a twin-centric movie. Uh, maybe he, maybe he shied away from that because uh, Jean Claude Van Damme, uh, JCVD, uh, kind of has that market cornered. Like that's his shtick, such that he was like, <laughs> he was lobbying to come back in an expendable sequel. Um, if you're not aware, uh, JCVD, Jean Claude Van Damme was the villain in Expendables Two. He was killed in that movie. But Van Damme has done so many fucking twin movies that he actually lobbied to come back as the twin brother of the of Jean Valan or Jean Valane, uh, the character he played in the second one. And it's that would have been such a fun little meta joke. I I actually still would like to see that happen just because if you if you take a just a passing glance at that man's filmography, he has played a lot of twins. It's it's really weird. Um, but what I was saying about Stallone, um, he's continually kind of his his own worst enemy, um, and it manifests in the form of I think his his ego, um, and a lot of that comes from just you know, what, what is it like? It's not Orson Welles syndrome or whatever, but based or uh, uh, Shyamalan syndrome, where like you get propped up on a pedestal too early in your film career to the point that you get big headed. And uh, you get too big for your britches a little bit. Um, in Stallone's case, you know, doing fucking Rocky, writing and starring in, you know, a movie that did very, very well at the Oscars, won Best Fucking Picture, um, and then going on to make very, very financially successful sequels, which he would direct by himself. Um, he He was heaped with praise very, very early in his career. I mean, he did have to put his time in in order to get Rocky. Um, both in the gym and otherwise, but um, there's stories uh, of of him him being very big headed and kind of kind of ruining his own films to some extent. Um, a few that come to mind, and mind you, this is all just coming directly out of my ass, so I'm not fact checking any of this. I'm just shooting 100% from the hip this entire recording. Um, Nighthawks. Uh, is a movie with uh, Billy D. Williams. Billy D. Slick Billy D. Uh, that man was smooth as butter. Uh, I, freak, I think he's still alive. I hope he is. Billy D. is awesome. Um, Billy D. Williams and the villain of that film was uh, Rutger Hauer, uh, amazing Dutch actor, kind of the the like biggest Dutch actor of the time anyway, at least internationally. Um, 
Roy Batty from Blade Runner, if you're not aware. Um, apparently, the 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 project on paper, if if memory serves, it was supposed to be like a a, a manhunt movie where Stallone's the good good guy who's chasing Rutger Hauer's bad guy, and their screen time was meant to be a fairly even split, um, kind of like uh, the the Jackal with like. Richard Gere and Sidney Poitier, and then we cut to Bruce Willis and what he's up to. It's supposed to be kind of like that kind of back and forth affair where we see what each party is up to, and then they intersect every once in a while uh, for a tense action beat or something. Um, Stallone apparently like put the kibosh on that and said, "No, uh, Rutger Hauer's not going to be in very much of this movie. It's all going to be me and Billy D." Um, and the movie suffers as a result. It's an okay movie. It's not great. It could have been great, maybe. Um, but apparently that's the story and same goes for like a uh, Cobra. As far as I know, there was a lot of shenanigans on the production of that film. Uh, there's a, a lost alternative cut of that film that will likely never be released. That's supposed to be, uh, quite a bit more coherent, uh, as the most important thing, but also just better, like just objectively just better. Um, cause as it stands, Cobra is a a fun movie like the aesthetics of the day of the late 80s and you know the the pairing of i think at the time husband and wife brigitte nielsen sylvester salone um there's a lot of fun aesthetics at work there's you know i guess some decent bloodletting um but that movie was thrown into a fucking wood chipper in the editing room um and as a result both in terms of like visual language and and just like overall storytelling narrative storytelling uh, it's borderline incomprehensible at times, but it's it's survived by having one of the most awesome fucking posters um, and a pretty rockin' soundtrack. Um, but stuff like that pops up in Stallone's filmography from time to time, even to this day, where um, the, the headlines these days are about uh, Stallone. I, I believe he was recently divorced, so shit, that sucks. Uh, that's rough in your mid-70s, I believe. Uh, he's older than my dad. Uh, but they're very close in age, but he's slightly older than my dad. Um, yeah, I think he got divorced recently, and he's been very public and very loud and very angry about how pissed off he is at a... Um, I think it's... It might be United Artists uh, or MGM. I forget who owns the rights to... A, um, is it Robert Chartoff and Erwin Winkler, I think, produced the original Rocky films? I don't know if either of those fellows are still alive, but maybe they're survived by other executives. Um, there's been some rights issues with Rocky Balboa and and the Creed family and the Drago family, like all, and I presume like Clubber Lang and like all the Rocky characters, basically. The rights to all the characters are being snatched away from Stallone, and he's really fucking pissed, and he's been very public about it. Um, so he seems like he's in a lot of pain, and he's, he's really pissed off right now. Uh, so not a, not a happy time for Stallone, but um, I seem to remember um, Creed II, was a turbulent time for Stallone because, like, they had to, like, beg him uh, to... Uh, Ryan Coogler had to, like, beg him uh, to make the first Creed movie, but he he came around eventually. It ended up being fantastic. And then Creed Two, if you ask me, is also quite good, um, but there's evidence to suggest that Stallone did not have a good time working on the film. Uh, infamously, there's that behind-the-scenes, like, cell phone footage clip of uh, Stallone... Uh, getting into a fist fight with Dolph Lundgren. It's staged. It, it's it's very much planned, but 
Um, nothing even close to that ends up in the finished film. And if I had to guess, that was like Stallone trying, trying, like kind of like flailing desperately to maintain some sort of uh, creative control um, and like insert some of his own ideas. I feel like he got, he felt pushed out. And even some of like that last shot of him uh, refusing to step into the ring af- uh, at the end of the fight on uh, the second film, it, it feels like... Uh, you know, kind of meta in that, like, it, it feels like Stallone was in that sort of mood in regards to the whole production where he's like, you know, I, I feel like I'm being pushed out, so I'm just going to quietly remove myself from this this whole kerfuffle. <laughs> um, anyway, I've been rambling about Stallone. I'm so sorry. So I'm just going to run through the rest of the cast here. Um, Javon, quote, Juana Walton as Sam Cleary, uh, Cleary excuse me, uh, who serves as our uh, protagonist, essentially, um, aside from Stallone, uh, who, of course, has top billing. Uh, this kid um, is not known to me at all. Uh, however, if you just glance at his filmography, um, goddamn, uh, apparently Hollywood loves him. Like, uh, uh, apparently he's he's a, he's a really big deal already. Uh, I don't even know how old he is. I presume very, very young. He's supposed to be like 13 in this film and he, he looks it. Uh, he's, he's part of the cast of euphoria, uh, which I know is doing quite well on HBO. Uh, also part of the cast of utopia, um, has a voice role in the Adams family too, which uh, I'd ha- I have no idea if people are actually seeing those movies. I presume they're doing quite well because they're animated, but um, he's also part of the Umbrella Academy and now Samaritan. Uh, this this kid apparently is going places. Um, I felt he was oddly directed in this film. And what I mean by that is like he doesn't do anything wrong. Like like his performances are fairly like his performances is earnest. Like I never didn't believe him or anything. But his uh his reactions, like the the tone of his reactions and like his his level of enthusiasm kind of like vacillates back and forth between being like like a bright-eyed five-year-old like who just met fucking santa claus or something to being very worldly and i don't know more grounded and i feel like maybe it's like a a a flub in the editing or something where like i I think I understand what they're going for, where it's like when he's around Sylvester Stallone's character, uh, Joe Smith, the garbage man, um, he, I guess he's supposed to be like more bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, like he's supposed to be in awe of him. Um, but it just seems like his reactions are like outsized, I guess. It, it's it's strange. Um, but I, I wasn't bothered by him at all. Like sometimes child performances in movies like this can be cloying, and kind of obnoxious, but I thought he did quite well. By the way, uh, his his form when he's doing his shadow boxing, I, I think he's I think he's hit a heavy bag at some point in his life uh, because he 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 knows how to pick up his feet. I'll just say that much. That was that was a funny little detail. That's like it wasn't it wasn't important, but I was like watching him do shadow boxing. I was just like, oh, oh he's he's not fucking around. I think this kid actually knows how to throw a punch. It's <laughs> like. Um, uh, moving on, we have uh, fuck. Uh, he's a Dane, so I, I apologize if I if I butcher this pronunciation. But uh, Pilo Espec, uh, he is from. Oh, he is a Game of Thrones cast member. Kyle, uh, who is not here, 
um, has a thing about uh, ex Game of Thrones cast members. Um, he he theorizes that pretty much all of them go end up going exactly nowhere. <laughs> like like basically, if they show up in the cast of a movie or something, I think it's Game of Thrones and Fast and Furious. Like Fast and Furious actors, like major cast members from that franchise, if they're in a movie. Kyle will outright refuse to watch it. Um, if they're from Game of Thrones, more than likely they'll end up in movies that he wouldn't want to watch anyway. Um, Kyle is not going to be watching Samaritan anytime soon, but I can't remember. He plays uh, Euron Greyjoy in Game of Thrones, and and the reason I'm I'm being so laborious in the way I pronounce all these things is that um, I have not watched Game of Thrones, uh, merely the first season. Um, at which point I cut it off for spite because I was angry at somebody who was really into that franchise. <laughs> um, but now I'm okay. Like that, the dust has settled on that. So I may actually find my way back to that series at some point, but um, I actually don't know if this character is well-liked or not. Uh, you're on Greyjoy. Um, I'll have to ask Kyle about that one, but he kind of plays our, uh, our, our villain in this film. Um, Cyrus, by the way, is his name. Not Cyrus the Virus, just Cyrus. Um, and then beyond that, we have a, a, a cast of capable supporting players. Uh, Moises Arias uh, stands out uh, largely for his lack of stature, but also his uh, his costume design, his his makeup and costuming. Uh, they <laughs> they give him the most the most punchable of faces. Um, I actually liked his performance quite a bit, but. Um, Holy shit, they went overboard when it came to like making him look like a complete asshole. Um, other than that, I'll just point out that uh, Martin Starr is here in a very small role. Um, mostly, I just want an opportunity to point out uh, Martin Starr because he pops up in the, the damnedest of places. I know he's been in those, uh, those recent MCU uh, Spider-Man movies as one of the teachers. Um, but for whatever reason, there's this movie that I, I may have to go back and rewatch at some point i don't know if it's any good but for some reason i i have like very clear memories of certain parts of it he's in a movie called cheaters from like the early 2000s and if memory serves he plays a character by the name of appleby and there's this really stupid running gag where one of the characters who i think is like one of the guys from boy meets world a show i never watched i watched superhuman samurai cyber squad which is how I know the guy from Boy Meets World who is in Cheaters. I think the, the running gag is that they call him Nappleby instead of Appleby. And there's this one scene where he's trying he's trying to do the uh, uh, he's trying to do the thing from uh, On Deadly Ground where uh, John C. Riley uh, no John C. McGinley sorry <laughs> John C. McGinley uh, tries to intimidate someone by saying there is no I in team. And then he spells T-E-A-M. And he's, he's trying to sound intimidating while he's doing this. This is the least intimidating thing you could possibly do. But anyway, there's a part where the Boy Meets World guy is screaming at the top of his lungs, trying to sound, like, super aggro and violent. Like, Nappleby! <laughs> it's like, I don't know what this movie is. But, but for whatever reason, there's a couple parts of it that uh, really stuck with me. Clearly, uh, something I need to waste my time by revisiting. Um, so yeah, the movie itself, fuck. Um, I've been talking just about the people involved in the production uh, because this movie, I find I have very little to say about. Like I said, 
full spoilers so if i like ruin any parts of it for you um that's your own damn fault um so the movie is very much as advertised um it it kind of feels like a a little bit like last action hero at times where um one thing that's really interesting about the way that movie's put together is that um the scariest and and yeah the scariest parts of that movie are just new york being a city <laughs> like there's it's a it's a movie filled with like super villains and you know like like serial killers with fire axes played by tom noonan who is seemingly the most friendly man on the planet um but the scariest sequences like the the most violent sequences in the whole movie um are just a young boy existing in new york city like in a rough part of town um and they do a really good job of like like smashing you back like smashing you over the head with reality from time to time in that movie this movie kind of like has a similar problem to uh to overlord where at times it doesn't go hard enough with what it's trying to do um for instance like they they do have an element of that where where the city granite city feels like a a rough place to exist in but something about the way it's lit and the lack of commitment to exploring that material leaves you kind of wanting more of that and what's more like one of the the biggest problems with the movie is that it's a it's kind of like central plot it seems to be completely ignored by the movie itself where it feels like a the central part of the movie <laughs> is a seemingly there out of obligation i guess like the movie felt that it needed to do certain things in order to move the plot forward but without really giving you any rhyme or reason for it nor does it provide any real re- resolution. Um, what I'm getting at is that uh, our villain, our, uh, our, our resident Dane uh, from Game of Thrones, uh, Cyrus, he's revealed to be uh, kind of a, a fan of the presumed deceased nemesis character uh, who was, quote, like the supervillain, the resident supervillain of Granite City. He's, he claims to be a fan of him, so he draws inspiration from him. And he breaks into a, like a, a police evidence locker uh, to steal his his magical sledgehammer and his mask, and then he incites a riot by wearing the mask and doing a, a, a Lord Humongous routine um, to just a random crowd of people, and instantaneously uh, they become riotous and decide to start looting and tearing up the town. Um, I don't know if this is like some some cheap form of social commentary where they're trying to score where like the studio is trying to score bonus points with uh people who are afraid of people rioting in the streets in this country um i i don't know where where it came from but it's from there on it becomes like this this running element in the background of many many scenes of the movie where we keep cutting back to like rioting going on in the streets but it never really touches the central cast of our story and nor does it ever really resolve. It's just kind of there. Um, and it's supposed, and there's even like a, a sequence where they destroy the power grid for the entire region at towards the end of the movie. And by the time we reach the end credits, it's not, it's not addressed at all. Like it's, it's one of those things that it feels like maybe 
wishful thinking in terms of like maybe it'll be addressed in a sequel or something but i'm sorry that's not how you should make movies uh, and by the way apparently the uh the script for this movie was conceived as as a film initially but um after it was written i think it was produced as a as a graphic novel or a comic book before it would ultimately end up becoming a film uh, so i don't know if additional chapters of this particular story exist in that comic form um but the way it leaves off here is is funky to say the least um and also just uh cyrus's motivations in general are are non-existent like like the the way you're led to understand it is that he's completing what he believed nemesis had initially tried to do um before his you know untimely passing or whatever um but beyond that it's like i i I don't really know what he's trying to accomplish here um but yeah uh the the big reveal uh is the big there is a twist in this movie that comes in its third act its weakest act if you ask me um the big reveal is that um our our young hero uh sam uh played by javon walton he uh he latches on to joe smith the garbage man sylvester stallone um and he witnesses him having super strength confirmed by him uh putting himself back together in a really uh grisly and and pretty pretty comical sequence actually it's pretty well put together um where uh joe smith the garbage man is walking away from him and claiming like hey kid you got to put that to rest like i i don't have superpowers i'm not samaritan i don't know what you're talking about uh wherein he is struck by a car and then uh his his joints are shown to be like pointing in all the wrong directions his face is tore open he's got lacerations all over um and then he his body just kind of like puts itself back together and um that was a pretty cool sequence i I did kind of like that it was pretty pretty well done from a from an effects standpoint and well acted uh by stallone as well he's he really sold uh, stallone's uh, like also that's another element of stallone-isms uh he's uh he's big on like being a martyr i guess like he like he likes being uh an underdog he likes taking a beating on film and i think it comes from maybe his catholic upbringing um and some of that jesus stuff um but also you know his first most important character in his filmography was rocky balboa who is you know thought of as you know the plucky underdog who has to take 10 to give you one but you know by the end he'll he'll get you um so throughout his filmography stallone's always been very big on showing himself get his ass whipped before he wins uh in the end um and you know it's no surprise that he's become very adept at selling injuries and whatnot so he he did that quite well in this film but he always does um but yeah the the big twist in the film is unfortunately for me anyway one that i i became aware of i think way too early um and it simply like the movie actually opens um with a kind of shoddily animated uh sequence wherein our 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 protagonist sam narrates to us the viewer uh the story of samaritan and nemesis uh the story is and this is me going by memory i just watched this last night um 
they're twin brothers. They naturally developed superhuman strength and like impossible resistance to injury. Um, twin brothers, very important. Um, the town itself of Granite City uh, became wary of them and uh, burnt their fucking house down, uh, thereby killing their parents, but they survived. Um, and then from there, they would go on to uh, adopt superhero personas and wear suits of armor. Um, one would become Samaritan, uh, often thought of as a hero, but also characterized as just another cop, uh, so, like so saith Cyrus. Um, so it's kind of up in the air as to like how like righteous he was. Like like he characterizes him as being you know a hero to the state rather than the people, I guess. Um, and then Nemesis was characterized as a generic supervillain uh, who uh, set fire to a power plant in the town and uh, did battle with his brother uh, Samaritan at the power plant. And then, uh, by the way, he poured nemesis crafted a sledgehammer forged from his hatred for his brother i don't know how one does that but he did it um so he he wields a mighty sledgehammer that is apparently the quote the only thing that can kill uh samaritan and presumably because they're twins also it can kill nemesis but um they do battle at this power plant the power plant explodes and then the story goes they both died um to bring it all home um the first thing that jumped out to me uh, during that opening, like this is, we're talking about the opening two minutes of the movie. By the way, they, I think they ran out of animation budget or something, or they, like maybe maybe it was down to the wire or something. Maybe they just didn't have the time. But the last, the just the last portion of this opening animation sequence, this opening narrated sequence, this prologue, um, is I think just post-processed like cell shaded live action footage rather than like cgi animation it's very odd that they would have a shift in medium just for the final shots of that but anyway yeah i mean movies get put together in in you know movie just finishing a movie is a herculean effort as it is so i'm not being over overly critical i'm just pointing out something i noticed um anyway speaking of things i noticed um during that prologue when it was mentioned twin brothers I immediately was like, ah, that's important. Like that, that's a very important detail. So I, I kept that in the back of my head. And as things were moving on, I was like, okay, well, obviously the, the way this movie is moving forward is like, they're trying to plant the seed in your head that one of the brothers survived, which brother survived. And, you know, as, as the movie continues to progress, uh, you, you begin to notice, or at least some part of your brain, my, my brain in particular noticed very quickly. Um, you start to notice that the kid, Sam is ecstatic about meeting his, his hero Samaritan, and he keeps calling him Samaritan stuff, but never once does Stallone acknowledge it. Like he never actually owns up to being Samaritan. Like he, he never actually says, yeah, you got me kid. He just kind of lets the kid talk. And also like you get some very obvious hints as the movie progresses when it becomes more appropriate for the viewer to know these things or notice these things. Like you have these moments where the kid will be talking about nemesis or Samaritan, like either, either brother and in particular how they related to each other. And that's when Stallone will get 
snippy with him. Um, it's a lot. Of, it, it, I feel like there's a lot of unexplored elements in this movie that I would have found much more interesting because I don't know if they were really banking on getting a sequel or some shit, but we never actually find out what the deal is between these two brothers. Uh, spoiler alert, the big reveal that happens in the film's third act, like in the film's final act, again, its weakest act, is that Sylvester Stallone is actually nemesis. Uh, we we actually do get to see a re- we actually go like we continually flash back uh, to memories of what de- went down at that power plant battle, um, and we finally get this reveal that Samaritan fell into the power plant like in flames and whatnot, and then Nemesis uh, <laughs> removes his mask, and uh, we get to see a, a computer generated, uh, slightly younger Sylvester Stallone of questionable quality. Um, it's not fantastic to look at. Uh, MCU movie, this is not. Uh, we, we did not have... Uh, I forget the name of the studio uh, that does a lot of the D8, the digital de-aging work, um, but they, they've kind of become experts at it. Um, I think they're a French studio, if memory serves, but we did not have them as far as I understand, or at least we didn't have them for as many hours as they would have liked because uh, this is not the best uh, digitally de-aged human I've seen uh, in recent memory. But... Yes, the big reveal is that Stallone is kind of quietly, uh, seemingly like quietly attempting to atone for like past sins. Um, And then this kid kind of forces his way into his life and he grudgingly, you know, accepts him tagging along with him. Um, And then uh, things escalate. Uh, The kid gets kidnapped by Cyrus because uh, in this world of Granite City, the kid is in a really shitty situation where he's a, his family is hard up for money. Um, he, his mom is a single parent. And uh, to pay the bills, essentially, to keep the lights on, the kid uh, does favors for the local criminal element in the form of the Cyrus character. Um, and eventually it becomes known to the villains that uh, that the kid is affiliated with uh, who they think is Samaritan, Sylvester Stallone, uh, who's, of course, been causing them trouble as of late. Um, and then, you know, turns into a total clusterfuck and Stallone has to go in there and save the day. Um, but yeah, the big reveal is that he was the bad guy the whole time. I'm not the good guy. I'm the bad guy is how he says it. And it's a, it's not his best line delivery. Uh, Stallone does have some gimmicky one liners in this movie. Like you would expect from Stallone. Um, but I don't know. There's something about like, all the plastic surgery he's had, um, his his face is just not capable of being ex- as expressive as it has in years past. Um, and then not only that, like it, just a lot of his dialogue feels slightly out of step uh, with some of the people around him. Like just, I feel like he's able to portray warm very well in this film. Like when he's when he's trying to be warm and kind to the kid he's very believable and and that's when i appreciate him most but when he's trying to be funny it's like you know like when (sighs) stallone's biggest problem is that he's he's never been funny he he likes trying to be funny but it's only like endearing when he's playing rocky like uh, that that's always his problem is that like i think i think he he likes trying to be funny like he likes attempt he likes attempting for humor like, in fact, he had a long stretch in the early 90s where his career was kind of floundering and he was 
really pushing hard into comedy and stuff um like oscar and and uh stop or my mom will shoot and even tango and cash to some extent were really leaning heavily into dialogue centric like humor and whatnot um but the man's just always been a little too corny for his own good and that works when you're rocky balboa and you you kind of have that hangdog kind of quality to you but when you're just the garbage man it just comes across as kind of lame um but yeah um the 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 big reveal unfortunately i i kind of figured out way too early i mean that's like one of those things about movies that that I i feel like like i haven't been to film school but like I feel like that's one of the lessons that they probably really try to emphasize to you as as a filmmaker uh, is the uh, managing the delivery of information like to the viewer, like managing the timing of that and the impact of that is is basically how you make a, a good, satisfying narrative journey. Um, and in this case, like the it's not a complex narrative so it's not like super demanding or anything like it's not like it's a fucking murder mystery or something where that really is mostly why you're tu- why you're tuning in um but in this movie's case i feel like it get, maybe gave a little too much too early or something um to the point that i felt like oh well i've been waiting for that for the past 45 minutes cool <laughs> um but in terms of like uh, action and stuff, I haven't really said much about that. Um, I did say that uh, this this director, Julius Avery, um, I did say that while I didn't care that much for Overlord as a film overall, um, I had nothing bad to say about it uh, from a production standpoint. Uh, it's very handsome to look at. Uh, if memory serves, the soundtrack was fine as well. Uh, he knows his way around a, a light meter and a dolly track. Like like he. He knows how to make visually interesting uh, movies, and more. Moreover, also the pacing of Overlord and this film are just fine; like they move. Um, so no huge flaws there. He seems like a very competent filmmaker. It just maybe he hasn't found the right project just yet. Uh, as far as I've heard, uh, Son of a Gun is is supposed to be pretty good. So maybe I'm I'm off base saying that, but I feel like he hasn't given us his very best just yet. Um, he's not anybody i'm going to be super excited to check out his next work but you know if he finds the right project and it looks good you know in trailer form or something i might check it out but um yeah samaritan uh it 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 moves Uh, it looks pretty good there's some there's some very slick cinematography from time to time all the performances are on point um nobody sticks out too badly as like phoning it in or anything um Stallone, as I said, feels just a little off rhythm with everybody else, um, and his dialogue really seriously needed to be punched up. Um, but again, maybe Stallone s- stamped that out. I would not be surprised at all uh, if some of the stuff that Stallone says in this movie, uh, Stallone does have a producing credit. It is a Balboa production. I would not be surprised if he wrote himself some one-liners here and there, and in particular that sequence on the bus where he refers to himself as a troglodyte and explains what that means. That felt very Stallonean. Um, that's that's just me. I could be wrong on that, but I felt his dialogue needed to be reworked a little bit. 
Um, I did say that there was some weirdness with the way the kid was reacting to him. I felt like it was not consistent, I guess. Like maybe there's a, a, a few different takes they, they could have slipped in there that would have made it more consistent, like his, his reactions to everything. Um, the villains were fun uh, in that they all were visually distinct and they all stood out very much. Um, pretty well performed for the most part, although Cyrus is very, uh, his motivations are flimsy at best. It's made even worse by the fact that when it is revealed that Stallone is Nemesis um, and that his uh, his plan to like do battle at the power plant was not intended to do any harm to the residents of Granite City. It was merely just a, a ploy to draw out his brother so he could fucking murder him with a sledgehammer. Uh, what, what I'm trying to say, and I, I used way too many words to try to say it, is that I could have used an explanation as to why he hates his brother so much that he wants to make, that he can squeeze his hatred out his asshole into a fucking steel forge to make a hammer and then decides to set fire to a power plant to murder his brother. It's never explained to us why he has beef with his brother. I presume it has something to do with when their parents were killed, when they were very young. It's never expressed in the film, um, and I could have used that uh, quite a lot. Um, that would have cleared things up quite a bit for me. But as it stands, Cyrus just comes across as kind of a moron who's planning to take down the power grid for half the country uh, because anarchy, I guess. Because rage and anarchy. Uh, because poverty and anarchy. Um, again, I don't know if this was the production house's uh, ploy to get people who are, you know, deathly paranoid about, you know, the unclean masses, uh, the unwashed masses of, of people prowling the streets of America. Um, I, I don't know. But um, yeah, Cyrus is he's a, he's fine as a character. He's very he's very uh, thin, though, um, not in terms of actual body type. He's a really big guy, by the way. <laughs> Especially standing opposite Stallone, who's not not a particularly tall man. Uh, this is well known uh, in Hollywood. Um, but yeah, I really could have used uh, an explanation as to what Nemesis's deal was. Uh, because it's, it really is never fully explored in the film. And I really could have used that. Um, especially because, like when we get to the third act of the film, which is where most of the action comes in, um, we get, by the way, uh, I, I, my good buddy, Brad, uh, from the cinema speak podcast. Um, he and I reviewed a, uh, Adrian Brody or Brody beats, excuse me, not Adrian Brody, Brody beats uh, is what he goes by these days. Uh, we reviewed a film starring Brody beats called clean. I believe, uh, not too long ago, uh, several months back. That is, um, I, I think it's really funny that we have uh, yet another garbage man <laughs> act, garbage man vigilante action film. Uh, so I've reviewed two of those probably within the past year. I did not see that coming. Um, so yeah, if you're curious about checking out the other uh, vigilante garbage man film from last year, um, check out uh, Brad's uh, Cinema Speak episode of Clean. Um, where he and I talk about that one. But yeah, the finale of this movie involves uh, Stallone piling into stealing a garbage truck from the city, by the way. That's, that's, that, I mean, those are public resources, sir. That's very inconsiderate. Taxpayers' dollars going down the drain. 
Um, he, steal, he steals his garbage truck and runs it into Cyrus's domain, which, by the way, in the loft area, they do have an arcade machine of Data East's uh, Robocop arcade game. Um, I thought that was very fitting. I did draw some uh, some parallels between this movie and Robocop, in, in particular the way the criminal element is portrayed, but um, better movie, <laughs> by the way. Um, but yeah, Stallone Barge is in there uh, with with a garbage truck and then it's shown that he's essentially invincible um again the the quote the only thing that can kill him is uh the the this the angry sledgehammer that he crafted of hatred towards his brother who is presumed dead uh if they're planning to make a sequel my bet would be that he's not actually dead uh spoiler alert i guess um can't confirm that but um supposedly the hammer is the only thing that can kill him cyrus has the hammer at this point um, and he's used it earlier in the film to incite riots posing as nemesis um but we also do get shown uh through that sequence where stallone is hit by a car that he can also die of a heart attack so so the way his powers are portrayed as working is that if he suffers damage his body generates excess heat and he like starts steaming and stuff so like as his body is putting itself back together he's like steaming and then he needs to cool himself down otherwise by his own verbal admission his heart will like explode <laughs> so it's like he can either die from cumulative injury or a sledgehammer which even the sledgehammer seems to be somewhat ineffectual because spoiler alert he does eat a few hammers to the fucking head in this movie and he's mostly fine um but yeah apparently those are the only two things that can kill him is if you beat the fuck out of him for weeks and his heart explodes <laughs> or you hit him with the sledgehammer just right um but yeah uh, we get a pretty cool sequence where uh, stallone barges in there with a garbage truck and a bunch of men with guns decide to run in like run within punching range of him and uh some highly trained and highly talented uh stunt people uh just wreck the shit out of themselves um at <laughs> as as stallone flails about um stallone's in his 70s man and he does actually like move pretty well on camera but um you can tell that uh, he is doubled extensively in this film i i i think you have to at this point there's just certain violent like torque like motions that require a lot of torque uh involved in stunt performance and like in and combat sequences that that just a a man in his mid-70s really ought not do uh especially involving like whipping your neck around and stuff and like fast pivots and stuff it's like that. that's i'm sorry I don't, I don't care how well preserved you are that's that's just if you have to do that 20 times in a row you're gonna pull something and then guess what the production is derailed for the next several weeks awesome i i guess you can afford to do that if you're paying for the fucking thing but um not wise that's why you have stunt doubles and uh very similar to last week's review uh memory uh the uh the liam neeson film uh significantly younger man that we're talking about there but they're both actors of advanced age who uh, you know at this point really do need to rely quite a bit on doubles in order to be convincing in these kinds of roles and there's no shame in that it's just as an observer of these films it, it's just one of those things you can't 
not notice if you watch enough of these things. And yeah, a lot of the action choreography in this movie, it's like, yes, they do get some some good wide shots of Stallone re- like drawing back with the hammer and like like smacking people and stuff. But but the vast majority of it is performed by a double and but most importantly, the majority of the work um, is being done by the people on the receiving end uh, of of all the of all the violence and whatnot. As I said, all these all these stunt guys are running around getting yanked around on wires, and they're selling their asses off for Stallone. Um, some really awesome, just r- r- straight up wrecks in terms of just like bodies like tumbling ass over tea kettle downstairs and like slamming into walls and stuff. Like actual actual good stunt work. Not quite on the par. Not on par with, like, say, Day Shift, where, uh, you know, J.J. Perry and his merry band of uh, trickers and, and contortionists and breakdancers and whatnot, they, they're doing all sorts of, like, heretofore unseen levels of wrecks and whatnot, but this is, this is good, solid stunt work. Um, but it's very noticeable that they're relying quite a lot on, on these people, like, sacrificing their bodies to... To make, to make the guy doling out the violence look good, because that I, I guess they you know weren't capable of capturing that on film. So I'm I'm using way too many words to try to express this thought, but there's there's many ways in which you can generate spectacle from like hand to hand combat or just like you know fighting on film, and in the case of like someone like a Tony Jaa or something. The spectacle is often generated by the athleticism of the performer. You are here to watch Tony Jaa do cool shit to people. In the case of a film like this, Stolen's not really capable of doing the cool shit, so instead we have him do something that's otherwise unremarkable and then have the reaction to it be outsized um, in order to, you know, generate excitement and entertainment. Um, sorry that took so long to spit out, but that's that there it is um but yeah the, the whole finale of the movie is where uh, it kind of shits the bed a little bit because i actually was just fine with the way it was moving like i was fine just having that very cozy rhythm of of you know the very predictable like mystery solved kind of thing where where sam sees sylvester stallone do something superhuman he, you know, relentlessly pursues him and like actually kind of figures it that figures out the mystery. He befriends him. We get the palin around town business. That was all nice. And then we're continually cutting back and forth between that plot and Cyrus being up to no good and starting riots and stuff. So it's like we're trying to like build up this parallel story of like, oh, well, we know these stories are going to collide at some point, And, you know, Cyrus is going to come into conflict with Stallone. Sam's presumably going to be caught in the middle. Everything I just said does, in fact, happen. Very predictable, but very cozy. You know, nothing wrong with that. Um, but when we do get that big blow up where, where all the parties converge for the big finale, um, the whole thing about, I'm the bad guy, like that whole thing... I, I wasn't this movie has an odd relationship with violence um, in that it's pretty intense at times like especially when the kids involved man like like as I said I, I couldn't help but think of last action hero as I was watching this like the scenes where Sam 13 year old boy is getting roughed up by men 
Like he gets his ass beat a couple of times in this movie. And there's a sequence where he gets his hand, his wrist like shattered with a wrench. <laughs> like, like those sequences, if you, if you look at it for, for what it is, you know, a, a child, like somebody who's in middle school getting slugged in the face by an adult man and then kicked on the ground um, by three men um that's really fucking savage like that's stuff that you don't see on film all too often there's that but then there's like some curious stuff where oh yeah and then there's also stallone getting hit by a car and them having it render it pretty realistically like like the state of disarray that his body is thrown into is distressing like like i said his his elbow should not be pointed that way that that is not right especially in your 70s um but that's portrayed as i said pretty realistically which in the case of a fucking car wreck translates to pretty gruesomely um but then there's stuff where uh cyrus shoots someone in the back as they're running away and they don't show they don't show a squib hit digital or otherwise they cut away like you hear the shot and then you see the body on the ground and there's no blood and it's like huh curiously tame given some of the other stuff that we've seen um and then the big whole finale stallone is doing some gnarly stuff to people um but it's portrayed largely bloodlessly but there's like a certain energy like there's a certain maliciousness that seems to be intended to be present in the way he's the way he's conducting himself like the way he's like attacking these people um but for some reason, it just doesn't feel as violent as I think it needed to be. Because what I was hoping for when the on the bad guy moment happens is that he just starts, as Kyle described it, uh, when, I, when I asked him if I could defeat Brock Lesnar, uh, Bork Lazor, uh, in single combat if I shot him in the back of the head first. Um, no, I probably couldn't, is, is your answer. Um, Kyle said... Um, you better hope he goes down after that initial shot, because if not, he's going to fish hook your asshole <laughs> and just rip you out, rip you open from asshole to the back of your skull like a bag of Doritos. Um, I was expecting stuff like that. Like I was expecting it to, to get ultra violent, I guess, um, because, you know, that that's your moment to show. It's like, oh, fuck, he's the bad guy. And then he's now he's now he's like the chains are broken. Like it's time for him to just get nasty with these people. Um, but no, it's kind of like he just kind of dispatches people. And it's it's filled with some nice wrecks, some nice violence and whatnot. But it's never like savage, I guess. And I was I was kind of wanting that because the way the way Stallone, the way Nemesis is portrayed uh, in the movie is he seems to be a guy who's trying to atone, as I said earlier. Like, he has a, a nice Stallonism uh, at, like, the midway point of the film where he, the kid asks him, like, why are you collecting so much junk? Why do you repair junk? Um, and Stallone replies to him that uh, it's, it's easy to destroy, but it's difficult to repair. It's difficult to, you know, give life or, or, or fix things, basically. And what you what you get from that is that he probably, you know, if he is, in fact, nemesis and he is, um, he did a lot of destroying. He did a lot of hurting of other people. But now that he's had an opportunity to get away from that, 
he's more interested in keeping his head down and fixing rather than breaking. Um, what if you really wanted to make this like a uh, like a tragic story? Like uh, what you would do with that is you would take that character who is sincerely trying to do do right, and you would have him betray himself um, in a really terrible way, um, and maybe like during the, the this big raid sequence the big action finale in the movie like he he kind of returns to himself and the kid is just utterly horrified by what he sees where it's like everything that's being done all the violence that's being done to Cyrus and all of his goons is for the express purpose of saving Sam but like what if Sam is just like bearing witness to all of this and it's just like oh god no like like I in no in no world would I have ever wish for any of that to happen to anyone. Um, and then by the time they, you know, come back together, it's like, you know, thanks, old man, but, like, you gotta go. <laughs> but that's not the story we're telling. Instead, we're telling a story that has some ideas, but is not especially interested in exploring any of them. It has some, like, warm sentiments to toss out there, but it, it, it just gets going. Like, it, it just leaves them... It, drop throws him on the ground and just says peace i'm out it's like could you care to explain that like nope can't can't be bothered i'm out <laughs> the movie is riddled with stuff like that where it's like that was interesting could we have more of that it's like no no you can't sorry um and what i'm getting at is like the whole finale of the movie um leads up to the sequence where uh nemesis exposes himself as being just that uh, Cyrus is pissed off because he looked up to Nemesis and now he's in direct conflict with Nemesis and now he's like planning to I guess kill his idol for reasons um, he's he has a little freak out about it oh by the way his lady friend gets blowed up by Stallone um, kind of incidentally it wasn't on purpose it just happened um, she was creepy <laughs> just say that much um, by the way the uh, the compositing um, the fire effects uh, for the whole finale are the rest of the movie looks great for the most part like like there there's there are some effects work throughout the movie up to that point and they all look just fine uh, the movie was shot in atlanta presumably on a lot of uh back lot sound stages um that they just have there because that's where movies are made these days um very few locations but all are utilized very very well i'll just say that much but the 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 burning building sequence just it it's too long um the compositing is not very good like it it it's weird where it's like did you did it have to be a burning building like that like did it have to be like that um because you didn't quite stick the landing with that but um long story short cyrus is defeated and uh nemesis uh has a heart to heart with the uh, with Sam um, after he saves him from the burning building, but before he returns him to his mom and to the public and whatnot. So they're like in a private area and they have this, this moment where nemesis tells him something about like, he believes in second chances. And that's, that's him establishing that's like, you know, I, I sucked. <laughs> like I, I, I really used to suck, but I'm hoping to suck less. And I'm hoping that makes, up for all the suckiness that I, I I did to other people way back when the kids like oh yeah I, I I get it I think um 
And then we get a straight up kind of like Dark Knight ending. Like it's straight up like the Dark Knight or the Dark Knight Rises, honestly, where um, he tells the kid like, I, you know, I believe in second chances and whatnot. And like, I know when it comes time for you to do what you got to do, you're going to do the right thing. Right. And the kid's like, I, could you like stop speaking in elliptical terms and, and just get to the point, old man? But the old man, Batman's out of there. Like he Commissioner Gordon's him. Like he, he Batman Commissioner Gordon's him. He ditches the kid in an abandoned building. Good job. <laughs> um, but the kid like goes out to the public and when he's asked by the reporters like what happened in that building, the kid doesn't say like yeah, Nemesis showed up, that that supervillain we all thought died years ago and he murdered 30 fucking people and burnt a building down. <laughs> by the way, he just happened to save me too. Um no, he tells the reporter that Samaritan saved him. So it's very much the no, no, I kill the, I kill those people. No, Harvey Dent didn't kill those people. I kill those people. It's it's that he he does that where he says, he doesn't mention Nemesis. He says Samaritan is alive and well, even though he you know probably isn't. And he says Samaritan saved me. We should all be praising Samaritan. And I guess what this is supposed to be pointing to is that it's supposed to be, remember, this This is a city that while this fire is going on is in the midst of a major power outage and citywide rioting. Um, this, uh, <laughs> um, basically, the movie is trying to have a hopeful ending in that it's saying that I guess if, I guess Samaritan if we believe Samaritans back and we believe in hope, then hope will will live in our hearts and we'll become better people. I, I think that's what they're going for. Um, I thought it was a little trite, I guess. <laughs> like, like it, it felt like they were really hoping for a sequel or something because the movie just kind of like farts across the finish line. And uh, we see that, Sylvester Stallone like ducks into the crowd and just like walks away from the camera and that's our closing shot they they couldn't afford a motorcycle for him to ride off on nor does he ever wear a cape so we don't get the full-on Dark Knight ending um but yeah that's that's kind of the movie I didn't talk a whole lot of detail about the movie I mostly just rambled about Stallone <laughs> but uh that's what's gonna happen if Kyle's not around so uh, hopefully this episode was enjoyable but yeah, uh, I I mean I think I rated this like a, a two out of five or something like that on Letterboxd. Um, I don't think it's terrible or anything. It's a very 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 competently made film and does have some solid stunt work, which made me happy. Um, it's just a little uh, a little too flat. Like it's a little predict. It's a little too predictable. Um, and I I would have I really would have appreciated if they took some of the the very familiar very predictable elements of it and found a way to put like a personal stamp on it like i said if you're going to have if you're going to have like a, a slam bang action finale for your movie maybe focus on making that like truly outstanding or something or if you're going to have you know themes having to deal with you know hero worship or or you know messages being uh, lost in translation like after they've been put through filters like for instance like nemesis being worshipped by people 
like nemesis's message being propped up on a pedestal and thought of as like a philosophy for how to live your life do you want to explore themes like that like maybe maybe either do it in a different movie or really really double down on on exploring that but as it is it's it's you know it's an inoffensive time waster that i i didn't think was terrible or anything but it's it's not memorable in any real way um but yeah that was a samaritan uh from the year 2022 uh directed by julius avery um and thus concludes uh august 2022 which means that we don't have to be talking about contemporary releases next month uh, which just so happens to be our anniversary month um, i believe at the conclusion of september 2022 will be will mark uh, our fourth year of podcasting um, so i'm really hoping that uh, we can get kyle back for yous and uh, he and i can do a traditional masterclass month for you um, I do know that he's he's very busy with uh, school. Um, he does have a lot of real life stuff going on uh, these days, uh, so there's distinct possibility he won't be available for every week. Um, however, maybe I can get some guests on the on on the horn, uh, or maybe I can rock this shit solo uh, and keep things rolling until we get him back. But um, yeah, look forward to Masterclass Month uh, in September, if if that is indeed what we're going to end up doing with that, uh, as well as our fourth year anniversary. Kind of a big deal. Um, but in the meantime, folks at home, um, if you'd like to catch up on any of our Catching Up on Cinema content, you can find all of that collected on our website at catchinguponcinema.com. You can also find us on the social medias in the form of the Twitter, at Catching Up on Cinema, uh, excuse me, Catching Cinema, at Catching Cinema, as well as the Instagram, at Catching Up on Cinema. So feel free to hit me up at either of those. Uh, and the podcast is available on pretty much every platform you can imagine, including Bitcade. So fucking Google it. That being said, thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next time. Next time.